This conversation on COVID-19 is made possible by Discovery. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. With me is Discovery's Head of Corporate Sustainability, Ruth Lewin, who has recently been appointed to the prestigious position of World President of the Global Volunteerism Body for the US-based International Association of Volunteer Effort. Ruth, congratulations. What does this International Association of Volunteer Effort organization do and how did your appointment come about? Thanks, Jackie. It's known as IAVE. That's, that's the acronym. It's been in existence for about 50 years now, actually. And its main purpose is to promote, to strengthen and to celebrate the development of volunteering worldwide. And so, you know, it has four key kind of functions. That of convening volunteer leaders, of advocacy, of knowledge development and network development. And my association with Ayave started about five years ago when Discovery joined their corporate volunteering program. And so, yes, that's it's been very exciting, particularly as I'm the first African world president and the first actually from the global south since 1988. So there's a, there's been a fair amount of excitement about um, my representing the global south and, of course, the African continent. This is a remarkable achievement. What does it mean for Discovery? I mean, I think that what it does, it gives us the opportunity to really showcase the amazing volunteering, corporate volunteering that our employees have been engaged in for many, many years. I joined Discovery in 2004, and it was then that we, in a more structured way, uh, launched an employee volunteer program within Discovery, where we realized that the success of the business has largely been attributed to the kinds of people we have. And, you know, our policy or our our thinking really was how do we transfer the kind of skills that sit within a business that's made the business so successful into broader society? And I think, Jackie, it really talks to our philosophy as a business that we don't see ourselves as purely, you know, providing products and services to our members, but that we actually are a business fully entrenched in broader society. And therefore, we need to be taking very seriously the kinds of socioeconomic challenges that exist and how we position ourselves to contribute towards the eradication of those challenges. How do you see this volunteerism changing? So, you know, I think that what COVID has really shown us, Jackie, is that we actually, as a global world, we are really so connected. And so there are amazing opportunities for us to collaborate much more, not only across sectors, not only within our country, which is so critical, but actually globally. And so I see this relationship with Ayave certainly giving us that opportunity. Already we have a platform as a global business where we are connected to our other businesses in other parts of the world, in so many countries. And I think Ayave gives us this opportunity and my role certainly gives us the opportunity to start bringing everyone together and to really build a movement of volunteers in a very, very strategic way where we are truly addressing the kind of 
you know, the agenda certainly are that the United Nations has set in terms of the Sustainable Development Goals 2030. And so I think that is really the opportunity that we have. And it's the opportunity that we have to grasp now. While everyone is thinking about what is our role, both as individuals and as collectives within our society broadly. Were there specific projects that caught the attention of the IRVA panelists when you were nominated for this position of world president? So I guess the discovery approach to volunteerism has been quite interesting. You know, we're not in any way discounting the importance of painting wards and painting schools, etc. Those are really important. But we believe if we are going to invest in social programs, we must do it towards, uh, firstly, alongside communities and really hear from communities what their needs are and not go in as a corporate thinking that we have all the resources and impose our solutions. I think that's the first issue. I think secondly, it's about how do we fundamentally and quite systemically address the issues. So one of the examples which we are really excited about alongside a whole host of other initiatives was a project that we launched with the city of Johannesburg about five years ago, to and in particular in one community, looking at Orange Farm as a community, which is an extremely depressed community, 40 kilometers from the city of Johannesburg. And we did a little baseline study to understand what were the key issues there before just embarking upon uh, providing solutions. And we found that there were a couple of issues which were kind of key to being resolved for that community. The one was that, was that there was a high level of youth unemployment. The second issue was, you know, the issue of, of health and, and the kind of diseases of lifestyle which were so prominent, I think, in many poor communities, in many communities, but particularly Orange Farm. And the third was, was related to enterprises and how one can kind of look can build small enterprises within those communities, but building on the on the youth unemployment problem that exists. And so we we launched this program with a skills development center. And, you know, we took on board, we didn't go in as implementors, but we took on board, you know, whichever organizations were in existence and what facilities were there. And we basically facilitated the training of, of, of young people, but with the aim of giving them jobs at the end of the day or assisting them, facilitating access to jobs. And we were fairly, fairly successful through our partnership with the city of Johannesburg, where um, many of these young people were either set up into small businesses where they could you know, run a plumbing business or an electrical business or were actually employed in the respective enterprises of the city. And then once they were put into, into once they had set up a little business of their own, we then utilized our enterprise development program to look at how that could invest in incubators in, in Orange Farm. And so the program has grown where, you know, what is what typically happens in a corporate is that you take on one NGO and you support it, or you take on one issue and you support it. Here we took on multiple issues with multiple partnerships, which included EBSA, the city of Johannesburg, the Netherlands embassy, and all the NGOs working in a particular field in Orange Farm. And so it was a really nice example of how you could address a couple of 
issues all affecting the same people with good coordination and good collaboration. And I think that how many really interested Ayave as a, you know how corporates could potentially bring their own resources into something and systemically try and change uh, what exists there. The Ayave Executive Director Nicole Cirillo described you as a leader for the complexities and opportunities we face today. Was that a project that required multiple committees to decide how to go ahead, or how did you unravel those complexities? I think when you when you have partners, you always have to take into account their constraints, and I suppose you know with it comes the the support that they could give. But it, it's it's always difficult when one's working with with government because you've got to go through a whole host of processes. You know, we work very different in the corporate world, where you know you've got a budget and you are able to to move fairly quickly. So we learnt, you know, that that if we wanting to be successful and in our new approach, we've got to take all our partners along with us. I think similarly, if you're wanting to work in communities like these, we, we're not going to be there in ad finitum. And so it was very important for us to set up the right structures to ensure that the community gets ownership or the NGOs, the civil society with whom we are working, get ownership of these programs so that after five years, we can move on, having learnt a lot from that process into another community which has similar kind of challenges and roll out a program. So Yes, it was. It was. We had, we learned a lot. We made many mistakes, and I don't think by any means we can say that we've been absolutely successful in being able to get community ownership of it in the way that we would have liked to have seen it. But these are very complex issues we're dealing with, and I think COVID has added a whole new dynamic to how one works in these communities. I mean, all our work is now virtual. You know, where we've actually had people on the ground, we can't do that any longer. Well, certainly for now. Very interesting figure in your financial reports saying that 30% of Discovery staff are engaged in volunteer activities. That's a huge number of staff members. What's your advice to other corporates who want to encourage their own staff to get engaged in the greater good? So this is this is a very exciting number for us because, um, in fact, our uh, the global statistic is 18% of employees are generally engaged. So we are by far exceeding it. We don't believe that it's the number where we want to be at. We want to be closer to the 70% mark. But I think the way one does this, when you have an employee value proposition, which looks at the entire experience of an employee within a, an organization, of which employee volunteerism is one essential part, then I think you are, you are addressing the issue of engagement in, in a quite holistic way. And so, you know, around incentivizing employees for being engaged, allowing employees to go out, giving them time off by the employer to, to actually do this kind of work. And for them to understand that actually it's a two-way, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. It isn't as if we are going into communities as saviors. They are also learning. And very often, actually, these employees come from the very areas in which we are working. So 
You know, it's also about showing that the the business is cognizant of where you come from, what your challenges are, and how are we are prepared to contribute towards eliminating some of those challenges. So I think if there's a, a, a lot of loyalty comes from it, there you know, there's feedback into the business about what the needs are out there. So it, it also informs ultimately on product design and so on. So there are a lot of benefits that can be derived from from this kind of activity. I think we've also seen that, um, you know, largely in discovery, there are millennials employed and millennials are really wanting to get involved in kind of social issues. It's something that, that has come up certainly in the surveys that we've run within the business. So it's also about meeting the needs of our employees. It's not just about meeting either a community's needs or a company's needs. It's also about what employees are telling us they would like to be engaged in. Is this why you've got such a diverse range of projects? I see here that you have a project aimed at helping young girls. You've got PPE. Perhaps you could just tell us a bit more about the the range of projects your staff are involved in and, and how they got to those choices. I mean, presumably you don't accept all ideas. How do you filter them? It's a very difficult one because we are faced very often with not wanting to kill the spirit of volunteerism, but we also understand that there, we, you know, we want to make impact. So we need to guide as far as we can. So largely our focus would be on health related projects, much like our corporate social investment programs through the Discovery Fund and the Discovery Foundation are directed towards the public health system and the strengthening in particular of the public health system. So, for example, you know, we, we allow our, our business units to determine which projects they would like to support, as long as it fits within the broad guidelines that, we, that we've laid down. And so, yeah, that's largely how, as for PPEs, I mean, PPEs this year during COVID really kind of showed the agility and flexibility that our program has, which is also important because you don't want to be so static that you that you are unable to respond to a an urgent need and what we found was that that we that our agility allowed us to very quickly respond and respond outside of what we would do from a financial point of view so for example with ppes we were able our i think it was our eastern cape office they produced a whole host of masks similarly we fund from the Discovery Fund, which is our, one of our CSI platforms, we fund over 40 NGOs in a multi-year relationship. And they are all health clinics and health facilities around the country. But we realized that a lot of the support was going to them for delivering services. But what about the staff in those, in those offices? And so from our own budgets, not the CSI budgets, from our operational budgets, we actually... Um, were able to provide masks, for example, to the staff working in these facilities. By the same token, you know, it, it dawned on us that our healthy company provides counseling services to employee members 
And so we said, you know, but what about all these NGOs working in, in rural areas where they don't have access to these resources? And we were then able to use, get our employees who work in, in the healthy company who are counselors to provide counseling sessions for staff, which was really, really appreciated by these NGOs. I mean, you may know that NGOs really, you know, they have just enough money to deliver on the services. And so being able to provide these additional bits of support uh, meant a lot to them. It also to them, I think, um, and, and judging from the responses we got, they felt that we were being quite proactive as a funder and they were really appreciative of that. Ruth, tell us about the influences in your work. What drove you to focus on social impact work and how did you turn this into a career? So a large part of my working life since the early 80s, late 70s, I suppose, large, I spent working in communities. I come from a family where my parents were both teachers, my late parents, but were very, very active community members. You know, my father started a civic association um, and worked very actively to ensure that libraries were built in areas where, you know, none existed. A swimming pool was built. Um, and I don't know if you, if you know any of that generation of people, but they were not just teachers in communities. They were also the people who wrote the letters for people who couldn't write, you know, the shopkeeper who wasn't allowed to operate because he was Indian in a colored area and so representing those individuals or working for the South African my father was one of the founding members of the League of Friends of the Blind and so I you know as a child I remember having to stand with these boxes collection boxes that filled our lounge and was all over and we all had to stand on the road and collect on a particular day for the blind amongst other and so that was very much the the kind of home that I grew up in so getting involved in community work which is what I did eventually in my life my working life was almost something that came naturally and that I did Full-time, eventually, from about 1983, I was employed full-time doing working amongst youth, women, children, on all kinds of issues until our democracy in 94, when I formally then worked in government. And from there, I was recruited into Discovery in 2004. I worked for a while with the, I mean, a couple of places. So I started out in 1994 when Ibrahim Rasul was the MEC for Health and Social Services in the Western Cape. I was his head of head of um, head of his office, so that was my first bit of work. And then I was the regional manager for the Western and Northern Cape for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission between 1996 and 1998. When I moved up to Pretoria, my husband was a civil servant. And then thereafter, I joined the IEC and I worked a bit in ICASA, the regulator for telecoms and broadcasting regulator. And from there, I was recruited to Discovery. Ruth, what does your role as world president entail? What are you going to be doing now? And will you still have time for your work at Discovery? So, yeah, I suppose because it's a global organization headquartered in uh, Washington, D.C., a large part of my work starts at from about three, four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so I chair the board of 13 members. 
for Ayave. It's a four-year term currently. And I, you know, one of the key things is to, is how do we speed up our work and become a lot more strategic in terms of the, tw- the UN's 2030 uh, sustainable development goals. And so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, we, we're going to be doing a strategic review soon. And so that's the role that I would play in guiding and uh, alongside my fellow board members, in guiding the processes of being a lot more strategic and meeting the needs of our global world. The board has a very good representation of all the regions of the world. So it's easy to, you know, be able to tap into everyone else's knowledge. It isn't as if I'm sitting with all the knowledge. I possibly can't have that. So it's a, it's a very privileged position to be in working alongside other colleagues who done this work also for many years. What's your vision for Discovery's corporate sustainability initiatives? Well, I think we'd really like to grow our staff engagement, you know, much more than what it is currently. And I think secondly, we would really like to team up with our global partners, Vitality in the UK, in China, with Ping On Health, and really have a movement across all our businesses that works towards a common goal. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's a big, it will be a big gain for us if we are able to expand our involvement beyond South Africa. You've been listening to Ruth Lewin, who is Discovery's Head of Corporate Sustainability. This conversation on COVID-19 was made possible by Discovery.